Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I am your host as always, Steve Hall. And today I'm very excited to welcome both Alex and Mike to the show. Uh, hopefully you guys are obviously more than aware of Mike. He's been on the show probably, well, obviously by far our most popular guest. Too long, Steve. <laughs> I believe the term is too long. Too long. <laughs> and uh, Alex obviously was on a few episodes ago and we had a fantastic discussion on all things kind of hypertrophy. And he had some potential disagreements um, that with some of Mike's concepts, volume landmarks, set progressions. And I thought it would be really fruitful to get them both, if they were happy to, to discuss it. And they were both more than happy to. So I think this is going to be a nice eye-opening and uh, great discussion. So I thought best if Alex, if you want to kick off with maybe some of your thoughts around progressing via sets on a weekly basis, uh, on volume landmarks in general, and then Mike can uh, come back to you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so we're talking about programming. Um, first of all, I'm right about everything, and everything Mike has to say is completely wrong. Okay, so let's just kick off the comments, like you know, from there. No, uh, I actually agree with Mike on a lot of things. Um, I try and stay up to date on as much volume research as possible, hypertrophy programming, um, and I think Mike. Uh, when it first came out the concept, the way I read it, and a lot of people perceived it was a, a set progression per week, um, which I don't think is completely right. Um, I don't think Mike means that uh, per se. So I let, I'll let him um, kind of define that in a moment just so we're on the same page because I don't want to argue something like a trade a straw man because um, I don't believe that uh, increasing by a set every week is optimal, and I don't think he believes that as well. But I think what the disagreement is, how should we progress volume over time? Um, should we increase volume on a per set basis over time? Uh, should we keep volume kind of where it's at and kind of increase it by intensity over time? Um, I know like maybe micro loading, whatever we could do. We all know that we need to progress uh, progressively overload somehow. Um, so I think the disagreement or is how do we do that? So I believe that the, the concept of an MEV, MAV, and MRV does make sense. Um, it holds a lot of truth. Um, but I don't personally, personally, I don't believe that starting at an MEV and then going to an MRV within maybe a macro cycle or at least a meso cycle, I'll, I'll say meso cycle here. Um, so maybe four to six weeks would be optimal. Um, I think maybe starting a macro cycle at like an MEV and then kind of going towards your MAV, so your adaptive volume, and staying there for a long period of time um, is kind of where my head's at right now um, and increasing load appropriately to keep the MAV where it should be. Um, and I think we might have some disagreements on how progressive overload actually works. Um, I don't think you can just feed volume um, that aggressively uh, for hypertrophy because it just takes such a long time. Um, so that's kind of where my head's at with progressive overload. Um, the other part of that is because I've tried, I've done a, a set increase per week just to see what happened um, or something very close to that. And it, it kind of seems like I'm starting somewhere where I'm not getting a lot of work done, but it's setting up the macro cycle to have more work done in the future. So it kind of, it's a nice way to set it up, but you're not doing too much. And then you kind of get to a place where okay, I'm doing some good work, and then it feels like I'm doing too much work. So it kind of feels like I have like one-third of the, of the cycle where I'm doing good work. Um, does that make sense so far, or am I off on a tangent? Yeah. Okay. No, I think that's, that's fair. Is that, are okay. you finished, or do you want to? Yeah, I'll let Mike uh, respond so we can okay. uh, maybe define that so we're not arguing like weird points that don't make any sense. <laughs> cool. For sure. Yeah, those are all good points. So I am not a fan of... Uh, proactive pre-planned set increases. I'm a big fan of auto-regulatory set increases um, based on, oh gee, at least two criteria, uh, one major one and one smaller one. So basically, um, if you are recovering in performance, uh, like you can consistently perform the same or better microcycle to microcycle, I think increasing volume is a good idea and I think that um, especially if there's no overlapping soreness that's occurring where you're consistently super sore all the time 
then uh, I think if those two boxes can be checked, so like for example, this past week, you um, performed as well or better than you did the week before. And when you trained your various muscles, they either didn't get sore or they got sore on time to heal so that your next workouts, like they say you chest Monday, Thursday, you did chest Monday, by Thursday it was completely recovered. There was no uh, palpable soreness, no perceptive soreness. Um, then I think there's a pretty decent argument for increasing volume to some extent. Um, a sort of tertiary approach to, to that is to try to do some auto-regulation based on more perceptive measures, but I think they're still uh, pretty interesting, like how much of a pump you get, what your perception of effort is, um, things like that. So for example, if you have a workout that causes you almost no pump, but very little pump, and it's in the rep ranges that are expected to cause pumps. And then there's a pretty good argument for increasing the amount of volume because um, from a couple of lines of reasoning, at least one of which is that um, cell swelling has been directly tied to hypertrophy. And then uh, another one is perception of effort. So if you can walk away from a leg workout and be like, that was easy as hell, this is highly unlikely that it's close to your maximum adaptive volume. So that you'll probably increase, um, so it might be a good idea. And uh, the extent to which you can increase is, of course, based on all those variables. But the sort of the good news is that um, your work capacity improves rather quickly, especially if you start a new uh, group of repetition ranges and a new group of exercises in the beginning of a mesocycle. Your ability, so for example, you do leg press for the first time in a long time, maybe months, right? You do three sets of leg press. And, ah, gee, you get pretty sore after that, okay? And then, uh, you know, you heal and you do some other stuff later in the week. And then next week comes and you have time for leg press again. Let's say you did three sets last week. What do you do this week? Well, if you do three sets again, you'll notice that you get almost no soreness whatsoever uh, because your so leg press was very new, but there's no longer. And uh, the argument against increasing volume on the leg press is uh, it's, I have absolutely, I have time for that argument, but it's an uphill argument. Because um, why not do more um, if you're clearly going to recover quite well from it? Um, so it's one of the situations where you're entering new rep ranges and entering new exercises, you're going to have a, a pretty big runway to increase volume substantially, uh, through the course of a mesocycle. This also applies to individuals that are not very well trained or intermediately trained. When you're advanced, your minimum effective volume and maximum recovery are so close to each other that what it takes for you to have a good workout is pretty close to what it takes for you to have no workout at all next week because you're half dead. So a lot of times... Um, uh, you know, individuals can progress from doing maybe three or four sets per muscle group per, per session, all the way up to 12 sets per muscle group per session, slowly in an auto-regulated manner over six to eight weeks. But the more advanced athletes tend to progress maybe something from like six per session because nothing short of six gives them any robust pump or feeling of, of uh, effort expended. Um, and they may be only be able to go as high as eight. Uh, so that's, you know, travel of two sets per session that basically leaves us with almost exactly the model you described, Alex, where, you know, for four or six weeks in the middle of a mesocycle, you more or less don't add any sets. But you might start with like six sets per session on a week one, because you intro week, right? Uh, you don't want to get excessive doms for reasons I can get into, which I think are very compelling. And then, uh, then next week you go up to seven and then you do seven, 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 seven. And then the overreaching week, the last week, there's no good argument against going to eight because you might as well get functional overreaching, which has now been thoroughly demonstrated in hypertrophy. So we basically have like six, seven, 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 eight. Uh, if you're less well-trained, you're more intermediate, you make better adaptations, your work capacity improves faster, then you're more slow twitch actually, then the, the bias between the first week and the last week tends to escalate so that you have a more even or a, a, a bigger gradation between those volumes. So I think for individuals that are, are, are you know, have trained, gee, at least like eight, eight to 10 years, there might be zero to two sets of travel between your MEV and MRV, uh, provided that you're also increasing intensity and decreasing RIR and so on and so forth. Uh, but for beginner individuals, I think there's a, a very, uh, uh, pretty compelling case to make for volume increases. I will say one last thing. Um, I have a bunch more to say eventually, but um, if we have to ask what's the, you know, so if we increase number of sets, we get tired, it's a lot of work. And so the downside is that we can't put as much weight on the bar. But then the real question is, what makes you bigger? Doing more sets or putting more weight on the bar? And the answer from the research so far that I've been able to see is unequivocally 
that more sets makes you bigger uh, so long as your relative intensity is high. Um, if you say, look at someone who's doing 405 for six sets of 10, and you're like, man, if he just worked up to 500 for a double, he'd be way bigger. That's just categorically false. It's actually backwards. So if you're prioritizing intensity increases over set increases because there's a trade-off at some point, the literature says that number of hard sets is much more correlated to how big you get than how much stronger you get uh, within a mesocycle. Uh, and a lot of the strength you gain in a mesocycle can be with fatigue dynamics, which is something I can get into a little later, a bit more technical. But that's, that's sort of my perspective so far. So you're absolutely right that I don't, uh, I don't say, here's a, one of the problems is like, these were examples that I put out and little infographics is just one of the main reasons I fucking hate it. I love and hate infographics, right? An infographic is a real cool way to illustrate a concept, but unfortunately a lot of people don't have time for concepts. They have time for like, oh, that's the Dr. Mike program, <laughs> right? And I'm just gonna do that. Hey, it starts at 10 and goes to 20 sets per week and it just goes up by two every time because I'm not making any more than five fucking microcycles. It's too lazy Microsoft PowerPoint. So, uh, you know, uh, a little footnote in there that, like, you know, this is just an example of missed by most people. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not blaming any those people for that. Uh, some people I will because they're intentionally obtuse. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's absolutely, I think it's an auto-regulated uh, situation as best. Alex, how do you feel about kind of an auto-regulated approach to increasing sets and some of those kind of methods that Mike mentioned in terms of like soreness, performance, um, feeling of a pump, uh, difficulty within a session? Right, yeah. So um, I agree with all those points. Um, and I'm glad he cleared that up as well because before, like I said, it, when they had the volume landmarks and that little tiny infographic, there was literally people around my gym who were like, I have the, the RP method I'm like, <laughs> and these are pretty smart people and who have master's degrees and are, are very smart with their training and doing dups and that i mean that sort of progression and and i was like well let me see what you're doing and it was literally like uh week one two sets week two three sets all the way up to weeks you know six were six sets i'm like well you got two weeks of good training in and nothing else so that was my uh you know, my problem with that, what she clarified and is clearly now what Dr. Mike thinks. And I didn't really think that's what he thought, but we have to clear that up. I could have. Yeah. Who knows, man? There's plenty of, plenty of uh, reasonably intelligent people have all sorts of crazy thoughts. So I, I don't, uh, I think you're right on and being like, I sure hope he doesn't think this, but maybe he does. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I would, if I was a gambling man, I'd bet I'd think some stupid shit like that. So. <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. The, 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 the pre-plan, like you said, you can't pre-plan hypertrophy and set progressions. Uh, it has to be auto-regulatory. On, not only because of how long and how almost unlinear uh, hypertrophy is, it's not very predictive, but of course, uh, fatigue dynamics and, you know, nervous system. I mean, we get into all that, but fatigue has something to be said for that as well. Um, but just if you try to pre-plan a set increase, the way I was thinking as well, uh, hypertrophy doesn't, uh, just the, the unit that you'd have to, I guess, I'm trying to break this down so that it makes sense in my head, but how much hypertrophy can you grow in one week versus a set increase? That rate is so far, it's too much. Uh, so you would certainly overreach really quickly doing that. So I'm not gonna argue that. Yeah, we, we could make an argument that says, you know, the hypertrophy gains will be very small and not concomitant to the magnitude of increase in sets. What we could say is that increasing sets is the driver which keeps hypertrophy gains optimal every week versus them being okay in the beginning and then worse later on as your body gets used to it. But then we have to contend with the following. How do you know that starting at two sets is above your minimum effective volume or even right. close to your maximum adaptive? You don't. It's just a shot in the dark. And then how do you know that, like, you know, you're, it says you go up to 12 sets per session. You're doing 12 sets. You're like, I haven't had a – like, I start having a pump at set four, and then by set eight, I don't have a pump. And by set 12, I'm numb. And then I never recover. I always have doms walking around, and I've been getting weaker every week. Uh, I guess the Dr. Mike program sucks, and it's like, no, nah, it's not really a good idea to do so I, one big thing that you mentioned is people starting in two sets, you know, like, gee, you know, you got to start, you got to try to estimate your minimum effective volume. And at RP, we have all sorts of really sort of ghetto ways to do that. And one of them is like, do you get some kind of pump from the rep ranges, which you expect? And from all the rep ranges, do you have a, a perception of, of work effort that is, that is sort of comparable to something that is overloading? Like, do you feel challenged? Is, uh, I have a suspicion that if you don't feel whatsoever challenged, even like locally in the muscle itself, maybe not systemically because of how challenged can you feel during wrist curls, right? Um, if you don't have a local challenge, you're like, ooh, that was, ooh, that was something. As I highly doubt you're getting hypertrophy outside of the beginner stage. And, and I'm actually even willing to amend that statement 
to say even beginners have to feel that because people say like, well, beginner can do a squat, you know, with the bar for a set of 10 and grow. I'm like, yeah, but have you ever seen beginners do a squat set of 10 with the bar? They look at you and they're like, that was hard. And you're like, oh, I guess you are getting challenged. So it's important to pick that MEV value relatively um, close to where you think it is. And you can even pick it in the session. Like you do two sets of bench, look at your training partner. He's like, what do you think? You're like, man, we need more. But you also have to be honest that some people do the way overboard one where they're like, I got to hit my MEP and they do 12 sets of everything and get mondo sore for a week. So it's, there's definitely, so I wouldn't call it an arch, but there's definitely sort of a technique to it where you have to be very perceptive and have to understand what it is you're going for. So basically the first session you have first week is I want to get here, get in here and get like decent workouts, not great workouts, decent workouts. So I don't want to get too sore. I don't want to mess myself up too much. I don't want to cause too much damage that competes with hypertrophy, so on and so forth. And then after that first intro week, then you're going to need to bump things up a little bit and volume progressions may be a part of that in the folks that can tolerate them. Totally. I agree with that. Cool. So Alex, you're, you're now on board with uh, minimum effective volume and then training up to MRV or how are you, are you still um, set on keeping more around MAV? So I, I think we're kind of on the same page. It's, it's more of uh, in what time frame. So I still believe within a meso cycle, that'd be fantastic. And maybe, or at least maybe two, mac two decent macro cycles. Let's just say an arbitrary number of six weeks. So with a deload in there in the middle. So I think that would be great to start at an MEV. You, you don't want to, you know, get too much damage and soreness to start off a training program. That doesn't make any sense to me either. So starting off a little bit easier and then pushing up to where your theoretical MAV is, um, I think is optimal. But I believe that it makes sense to stay there for, let's say, the remainder of that macro cycle and then only increase in reps and intensity to keep the MAV relative until you deload. Um, and then doing that and starting at your MAV again, cause, and then going and doing that for another macro cycle. That's kind of where, um, I've done mine. Um, yeah, I, I guess you can try and overreach with sets, which would make a lot more sense to try and overreach with intensity, um, right before that deload. I'm perfectly cool with that. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is if you line up two macro cycles together, the majority of that training I think should be around your MAV and that you should be progressing with, uh, either intensity as needed, or really I do a, we talked about the rep um, increase uh, progression where I try and increase in reps until I get I over two. two, yeah, two or three reps. And then I know if you start at 12 and then now you're at like 14, 15, you're like, okay, maybe I can go back to 12 increase in intensity. Now the whole point is the average MAV is relative to your intensity and it's hard. Um, so that's where, does that make sense or am I off? I think it makes total sense. I can try to poke some holes in that if you'd like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is that the MAV seems to be a pretty mobile variable. Is that uh, what is your maximum adaptive volume at week one? It may not be a maximum adaptive volume at week six um, for a couple of reasons. One is that you gain work capacity as you train. Work capacity is gained very quickly. It's gained over a period of days, for sure weeks. So while it was very challenging and pushed your body to the limits, to do uh, five sets of squats in the first week, your five sets of squats is just not that hard in a later week. And in addition to that, in, in uh, much of the research, uh, you know, if you can recover from the volume, uh, it seems like more volume for hypertrophy in the short term is probably better than less volume if you can perform that volume effectively and if you can recover to perform again. And this is all in the context as well of rising cumulative fatigue. So as cumulative fatigue, as you go through a mesocycle, your cumulative fatigue goes up. If it's not going up, you're just not training hard enough. And the whole conversation is, is a moot point. So as cumulative fatigue rises, what ends up happening is you don't really get to spend that much time at any one uh, set volume because you're going to be exhausting yourself pretty soon. So just when you get into the middle range of the volumes, you got one or two weeks left and you need to push that last little bit in there to get the functional reaching effect. Like you cannot get that effect if you like, but there's probably no super good argument against doing it because it's your last week. Anyway, you might as well push it. A lot of the research that uh, uh, James Krieger has cited about short term, higher volume training with entire breaks between it of two to three weeks, but you don't train at all. And I've done like basically three mesocycles of training with, two breaks in between 
and another group just trained the entire time at a more moderated volume, they got the same results, except of course the overreaching group trained like literally two thirds the same time. So I think that there's not a big problem of unsustainability or something with functional overreaching. And that's one of the situations where if, if you ask yourself, okay, I got two more weeks, uh, should I just stay at this MAV, uh, so to speak, you're not so sure it's your MAV anymore, should I just stay at this number of sets because it's a good number of sets, or should I try to increase? Well, of course, you go on auto-regulation first. And the question is, if you're, if you're recovering uh, from soreness in an adequate time before your next workout, and if your performance is still good, I think there's a good argument to squash more volume in, not a ton, but a little bit, because more volume as far as set numbers, almost every analysis, uh, simply seems to correlate or perhaps even cause more hypertrophy. So that argument of uh, sort of staying at a reasonable uh, volume and progressing in intensity, I would flip that argument on its face a little bit and say, why not progress in volume and maybe even keep intensity the same? Now, I'm personally a fan of progressing on all the variables at the same time to various extents, but I think if we're going to say, you know, it's good to just get to a certain volume and uh, only progress on how much weight we can lift or how many reps we can do, uh, why isn't it good to progress on volume only and not progress on weight and or reps or one or the other, as long as our reps in reserve are, are fairly low or declining? Um, I think it's a very difficult question to answer because if you go back to literature, you say, okay, here's the argument for moderating volume. You look around, you're like, fuck, almost every study that does more volume uh, gets better results so long as you know the session volumes don't exceed what is too much, right? In, in excess of something like 10 sets per session. So long as we don't go north of that, you know, you, you have face massive recovery problems with that anyway. And a lot of those people are sore like crazy and they don't even bother measuring that in most of the studies. So as long as you don't have overlapping soreness, as long as you're recovering, more volume probably seems to be better. And I'm currently looking at the literature myself. I'm not willing to bet against it. So for example, if I had an athlete who I was training and he was competing for the big title of, I don't know, bodybuilding against another athlete. And that guy's coach had him doing, you know, a few more sets every week towards the end of the mesocycle. And I told Matthew, like, hey, man, we're going to chill. We're just going to do eight sets. Hold your horses. He would ask me, like, how do you justify this in the literature? And I say, well, you know, we're getting stronger. He's like, does that correlate to size more or does set addition correlate to size more? Like more sets or is more weight? And I'm like, ah, fuck. I guess it's more sets. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I guess the other guy's going to beat you, right? So it's, it's, if I had to justify it to myself or to an athlete I was coaching, it'd be real tough for me to trade away something as reliably growth-promoting as uh, more volume as far as number of hard sets versus favoring intensity additions. Now, I will say that a lot of times uh, adding sets is just not tenable. Um, you know, it takes you uh, above your maximum adaptive volume, uh, which is to say it, away from it, and then it makes you fatigued way too fast, but that I think is a problem with adding too many sets towards the back end, not just adding some. And for very advanced athletes, you're gonna add no sets and maybe add one set in the last week. Um, so for more advanced athletes, it's definitely a matter of like, you don't add sets, but not because of a principled approach, but simply because you can't. There's one more working set, is way more stimulus than like just pushing a rep here or there, adding two and a half kilos on the bar or something like that. Um, so, and then there's a, I think it's a, just a, uh, a related point, I might as well throw it in here because we only have so much time. Um, you have a, a kind of a question of uh, what you want your performance to be like as far as how strong you are for reps through a mesocycle of training for hypertrophy, right? And you have to say, okay, let's say we have an option of I want performance to go up so I literally want to get stronger for reps most weeks of the training cycle until the last week where I'm too tired, hit my MRV, and then I do. Let's say we're getting an increase in basically our relative uh, abilities. Like you squat um, you know, 100 kilos for 10s, and at the end you squat 105 for 12s or something like that. That'd be sort of a good thing, I guess. But then you have to ask, okay, in order to do this, I have to keep the volumes relatively low because I want to keep fatigue relatively at bay. Once you have done that, maybe it is because you are keeping volumes low and because you are not letting fatigue accumulate, that your fitness uh, is accumulating, but your fatigue isn't. So your preparedness is rising. Uh, your preparedness rising is cool and all, but the question is, what does that actually do for your hypertrophy? And the answer is it's not super clear. It makes you lift better weights, that's cool. Then we have the other option of, well, let's say your performance is falling. 
right? Like you, you suck incrementally more every single week in the mesocycle. Well, that's clearly way too much volume because you're like literally by definition not recovering, which presents some mechanistic problems as far as if you're not recovering, you're almost certainly not adapting. Uh, but also it becomes a problem for overload. Like if you did 405 in the leg press for sets of 10 last week, and then this week you're literally not strong enough to do that, then you can like add sets or something, but then you're just sort of making the problem worse and you're kind of digging yourself a bigger hole. So what I actually think my default hypothesis is on progression is to have roughly the same level of strength at the beginning of your mesocycle as at the end of your mesocycle, because that means you're accumulating roughly about as much fitness as you are fatigue. And that means you're, for lack of a better term, smashing as much tolerable volume into your mesocycle as you can. And because doing as much volume as you can recover from uh, seems to be pretty close to the surest route to hypertrophy, at least on a mesocycle scale, uh, then for me, that actually makes quite a bit of sense. Mind you, you are gaining fitness during that time. It's just masked by fatigue. When you deal it at the end of that mesocycle, you get way stronger over the course of the week. So you're sort of like same string, same, same string, and then deload, and then you go bloop like that, and then your next mesocycle is spent like that. So I think that if you do any less volume than that, you can get stronger faster within a single mesocycle. But that's another way of saying you're not doing enough volume to generate enough fatigue, and thus you're probably not hypertrophying as much as you could. Um, there's certainly that risk. Now, it could be that you're doing a great job, but how do you know it's not too little volume? How do you know your fatigue's not falling some of those weeks, right? Imagine if you wanted to get as strong as possible at the end of a six-week phase. I would just do totally low volume the entire time. Shit, I would start at a higher volume and drop my volume. That's like a, a really good peaking plan. I, I, I don't think that's justified because I think that the number of hard sets and volume is such a huge driver of hypertrophy. You want as much of that as you can seem to get in a reasonable way. And I think that essentially maintaining performance through the cycle is good. To bring that back around, when we uh, uh, try to look at the model of keeping volume the same in the middle of the mesocycle and increasing performance, um, I don't necessarily think that is guaranteed to be reflective of a very good program. I think that if your performance is increasing, somebody could say, how come maybe that's just you not accumulating fatigue fast enough? And you could be like, right. And they'd be like, why don't you do more work to accumulate more fatigue? And you're like, well, what's the point of fatigue? You're like, but you get to do more work, which is more hypertrophy potentially, uh, certainly a better bet than less work is more hypertrophy. And then you say, shit, you're like, I don't know how to personally come back to that argument. Uh, maybe, maybe you have some ideas. Sorry, that was a long one. <laughs> um, so I, I know what you're saying, and I think what, where I get lost, or maybe what I question, and I'm not saying you're wrong by any means. No, by uh, all means, say I'm wrong. I have no problem with that whatsoever. <laughs> um, I mean, I have to be skeptical about everything. That's, I mean, this is how I learn and adapt, and I think everyone should be skeptical. Um, uh, the only issue I have is not the theory itself, it's just the timeline um, with everything. We don't really know exactly um, how, how much progression we need, where exactly our MAV is per se. We have ideas. Um, I like your ideas on, uh, for example, if you're, you might be your MAV, you might need to increase if you're not getting a pump, if you're not getting soreness. Um, I like the idea of the fatigue going up, um, but I, obviously work capacity goes up as well throughout. So you kind of, um, I don't know if I agree that you should be at the same strength levels as when you began. I don't know if I can completely agree with that. I um, can't either. Maybe, yeah. maybe similar. I'd say if your strength is radically increasing, there's yeah. a better argument. You could just be doing more volume. And of course, if your strength is falling at all, you're just not overloading and then you're in deep shit. So I would say if your strength is close to stable or improving slowly, I like that. I'll put it to you this way. If someone did like whatever number of sets of legs last week, and then this week they got way fucking stronger. My first thought is somebody who coaches for hypertrophy is like, you need to do more volume. Like, but I'm getting so much stronger. Like, look, if you want to get stronger, we'll just drop your volume like crazy. You'll do a strength program. Shit, we'll even drop your reps to sets of five. You'll get really fucking strong. And they're like, that's great. Like, you won't get big that way. And they're like, oh, God damn it. Like, well, why not? Well, because strength largely works on neural adaptations and fatigue dynamics. And then hypertrophy training largely works on cross-sectional area improvements, which, like you said, are delayed and take a long time. You might not actually see any performance benefits during that time, and this is actually one of my critiques against uh, the longer timescale models of like, well, you just like pick some good training and slowly get strong and week to week you figure out how much stronger you're getting and then you, you adjust your volume like that. The thing is, any amount outside of sheer beginners, and even for them, any amount of strength you gain week to week has dick to do with how fucking much contractile area you've added because you've added a fucking couple of grams. It's insane. There are good arguments made largely by Cody Hahn 
and his colleagues that a lot of the way the muscle is added is not even in a functional manner for weeks until after it's added. Like the shit is basically scaffolding for a while. So when people are like, oh man, I got stronger last week, that means I added muscle. No, it doesn't. That means you have neural characteristics and technique and architecture and the hypertrophy is not seen for weeks or even months after having an effect. So what I'd say is if you're just not getting weaker and maybe getting a little stronger, it's okay. But if you're getting a lot stronger, there it bumps into that argument of like, yeah, you just be doing more volume. You could say, but why would I do that? Well, almost every single study says up to a point, more volume is good. And this is where I come back to like, my argument is if you start at minimum effective volume, which I think has some benefits, right? That easing in kind of bullshit, then if someone says, well, why should I add volume? Because because you're at MEV, it's, there's a big window you have ahead of you to add volume. A really good argument against some of my bullshit is when people are like, well, if I'm already in the middle range between MEV and MRV, why would I add volume? I'm like, well, you probably wouldn't, but how the fuck did you magically get there? Like you should have worked up to that shit. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I guess we're not really arguing, but just to be you know pedantic is, so for me, I'll use myself an example with some sets, right? Uh, if I was doing squats, um, I might start off my macro cycle around three sets of squats, and it'll be an RPE maybe six or seven first week. Okay. Um, after a nice deload, okay, and then I come back the second week, I'll may increase the load to get where my RPE should be, maybe seven to eight. Now it might be around four sets, dude. I'm fucking dying at four sets for me personally. Um, now that squats, maybe I'll do four sets of leg press after that. I'm dying. The week after that, I'll do the same thing. I'll keep it up four sets. I'm dying a little bit less. I adapted. There's no way in hell I'm going to increase the set. Well, increase load. I can personally, and, I, and with clients I've worked with, I can increase load um, to a point to where then this doesn't make sense to increase load because it's just too heavy. My reps will go down or it's just it's kind of stuck in that weird spot. And then it seems like a perfect place to increase reps. And then I can increase reps on a per set basis for a decent amount of time. And it's fucking hard for me for a long time. I mean, I could do that all the way up to a deload and I feel like I'm going to die. Um, and I don't feel, I'm still recovering because I'm still checking my recovery from workout to workout. But that's kind of where the anecdote meets the science for me, where it's like, well, yeah, I could increase the set here, but it just doesn't really make sense because I'm still fucking like, you know, I'm like, throwing up on the ground after these squats and you know, like, okay, I'm going to keep it here. Um, so I guess where I wish the science would end up eventually is exactly how much should we increase and what, because volume is obviously you have to increase volume over time. Um, and that can be done uh, very s small amounts with intensity. If you can micro load to a certain point, maybe a little bit large with reps, which I personally like to do um, as much as possible. Um, and then of course with the set increase, um, which I think uh, is you definitely have to do, but it's just win. It's not an yeah. if, it's a win. And uh, that's kind of where my programming lies. Um, now, I wanted to throw, kind of pivot this towards uh, a macro. You just described exactly what I do for myself, by the way, in all my strong cases. Oh, there you go. Uh, I think maybe you were my dad in a different life or something like that. Um, <laughs> not qualified but, uh, to be anyone's dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Another thing we talked about, at least on Facebook, uh, was I do things a little bit differently from macro cycle to macro cycle, or yeah, I'd probably say maybe meso to meso. Okay. Um, either or, um, I kind of have a bit of a linear uh, periodization model for my hypertrophy. It seems to be against the grain, um, but it's not much linear where we're going from like sets of 12, like traditional, like down to one rep or anything like that. Um, but I want to hear your thoughts on because I know you're, you, you don't agree with this, where let's say I start my, Mac, my uh, meso at three sets of 12 to 10 undulating. Okay, we progress however we progress. Um, and then my next cycle will be maybe eight to 10. And then I kind of go through that to maybe I get to around six. Because um, anything in my opinion, based off the literature, off like 85% of one rep max around there is just kind of... Okay. Sure. Yeah, it's just not worth it. Um, and then I go back and I do it again. Um, and I know that the volume load is going down. However, when we talk about uh, effective reps, um, and of course, motor unit recruitment changes, um, novelty, I think the, the load is actually pretty similar, if not maybe more effective with some of those reps. Um, so I, I want to hear your opinion on that, or the problems with that. Totally. So I have a couple... Uh 
concerns about that sort of progression, I think it's a very good progression. So fundamentally, it's just fine. I think you get really good results from it. Um, the one question one could ask is why are we increasing load meso to meso to meso so much that we were reducing repetitions? Exactly what does that get, get us? Interesting question. Maybe you could answer in a bit. Um, and uh, the next one is as let's say we have a three mesocycle block of training, right? We have a mesocycle one, two, and three, and we want to do more and more and more, and then we're going to take like an active rest at the end because fuck that, you know, we're all super broken up. As we go through a mesocycle, or sorry, as we go through that training block, those three mesos, as we go through each meso and then the two, uh, three mesos respectively, we accumulate fatigue. Now, some of it is considerable amount is dropped every single time we deload, but not all of it. And the kind of fatigue that's dropped the least is actually connective tissue and joint disruption, right? Like if you are damaged to some extent in ligaments, tendons, fascia, et cetera, that can take weeks, plural, to recover from completely. And it tends to accumulate over time. So like, for example, if you look at the way powerlifters train, they do a similar progression, right, where they make things heavier. By the time a powerlifter gets to his meet, they're usually like, swear to God, I'm going to fucking fall apart. So my shit is all fucked up, my tent, everything hurts. And then they can take their two weeks after and they're like, okay, everything's good. So we take two ideas. One is that if you can recover from it and adapt to it, more volume you do as far as number of sets is better. Okay, sweet. Take another idea that um, the rep range generally from sets of five to sets of 30 close to failure is roughly equivalent for hypertrophy, especially in the medium terms, it's pretty clear. So we, we know that. And then we take this other idea of we get incrementally more banged up from a connective tissue perspective, as we go mesocycle to mesocycle to mesocycle. Uh, so given that that's the case, maybe the opposite approach uh, has some merit, where instead, so so we have some exercises where we do in the five to 10 rep range, we do them in meso one, two, and three, and we increase weight on them in meso one, two, and three, solid, no problems. And then we have another group of exercises where we do the sets of 10 to 20, and we increase weight on those the entire time. And another group of exercises where we do from the sets, uh, sets of 20 to 30 reps, we increase weight on those the entire three mesocycles. We increase everything, but as far as adding sets, because on average, you and I for sure agree that over the course of three whole mesocycles, you're going to have to do more sets at the end of the third, right, than the beginning of the first. So the question is, where do we add that volume in? If you add a bunch of volume in the sets of five to 10, I think you're more likely to have some pretty serious uh, problems recovering at a connective tissue perspective, because you'll have to do a shitload of volume with very heavy weights after two or three or four months of heavy, heavy, heavy. But if you start with mostly just heavy weights when your work capacity is not that great anyway, and then add in mostly sets of the lighter rep ranges, add a lot of sets of 10 to 20, add sets of 20 to 30, the average load lifted uh, may actually stay the same or even decline, meso to meso to meso, though in every exercise our load goes up, it's just that we might add two sets of squats in the five to 10 range from week one here to week 16 here. We might add four sets of leg extensions in the 20 to 30 rep range because the fundamental question is, let's say you're at mesocycle, the end of mesocycle two, you're entering mesocycle three. Someone's like, hey, how many sets of squats in the five to 10 range and deadlifts in the five to 10 range are you gonna add? You like feel your joints in your low back, you're like, fuck that, I'll barely survive the shit as it is. But if someone's like, can you add a couple sets of 20 to 30? You're like, yeah. And from a technical perspective, getting injured in a set of 20 to 30 it's just almost impossible if you survive a set of five to 10. The opposite isn't the case. And for example, if you start a, a block with sets of 20 to 30, then you go sets of uh, 10 to 20, and then you go sets of five to 10, you're entering five to 10 with the highest possible volumes at the most accumulated joint fatigue that you could have. The other way, if you start with a heavier and then eventually go lighter, it's okay because what it would take to injure you is something of a greater intensity than the five to 10 that you started with, which is mostly not your training. Your training is mostly light. You know, doing five or six sets of leg extensions with 10 to, or 20 to 30 reps in week 16 of your program, you're not gonna get hurt doing that. But if you've got five to six sets of the heaviest squat weights you've ever lifted, gee, I don't know, man, that could fuck you up. So that's my perspective. And the last thing I'll say about that is, it, that does not, is not a method to make you optimally as strong in the six to eight rep range as you could be. Right, your method is much better for that because it periodizes you to be optimized in that range. But my next question is, why are we trying to get strong in that rep range? Aren't we trying to get big? And what is the key to size? Lots of sets in a variety of rep ranges in a sustainable fashion. 
I would say that the model of going a little lighter on average through the mesos uh, might have some some merits on those arguments. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I believe uh, doing that, uh, I guess you call it reverse linear almost, um, would make sense. I, I, don't, I don't use the term linear periodization. My PhD uh, pro, professor would, would be like literally come out of the screen and beat me to death. <laughs> he says it's not a thing. So, but that's another whole fucking pedantic. Talk about pedantic. It's funny because you were like, I don't, earlier, you're like, I don't want to be pedantic. I, I want to be like, I made a career of being pedantic. So by all means, uh, unleash the beast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but anyway, yeah, just you know, call it whatever you like. Sure, reverse linear. I'll, I'll fucking call it reverse. Okay. <laughs> God cannot. damn it. <laughs> Uh, Steve, so, I feel threatened. I feel threatened. I want this to be noted. <laughs> um, I'm doing nothing. Carry so, on. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of merit in doing that as well, and I think the results in the end of the the, the macro cycle would be very similar as super uh, similar. Look, yeah, when I look at uh, obviously we can look at studies for everything, but when we do, when we look at studies looking at hypertrophy, um, different later, different periodization models result in very similar hypertrophy. Uh, when that when the uh, volume is kind of equated when it was very similar um so I, that does make sense and i would you know based on the information i would try that and i eventually will do that because let's say <laughs> it's kind of like this because uh, if you start at higher a uh, higher volume um or relative volume let's say uh 10 to 12 and then we go to six to eight and deload well eventually i'm going to go back to 10 to 12 anyway um so it makes sense um, when we look at it at a large model. But um, the only reason why I do it like that is because we know, or well, at least I speculate that the motor unit recruitment properties um, and strategies to recruit type two fibers versus type one and some of that literature, we don't have enough to really say for sure that lifting heavier to a point seems to give a little bit different response for hypertrophy. It seems to be a little bit more optimal in my opinion. Um, I would like to ask you your opinion to see, uh, I don't know exactly how, how you train and what rep ranges you use. I know some of your training because I see some of your stuff. I don't train, I just use drugs. Those are all fake weights. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but like, I just don't think that training with like, like rep ranges of 20 to 30 is just that optimal. Or if you are doing that, it's like a few exercises at the tail end is what most people do. Um, so for me, I try and do what every study published by Brad Schoenfeld says ever, um, which is to train in that, uh, that spectrum between maybe six to like 15 to keep most of my training in there, kind of in there, maybe five to 15. Um, and to do that, I just, I haven't found a good way to do that in the same like mesocycle. It seems mm. to be too all over the place, uh, especially when we get into training with like set to 20, like five to 20. This just seems too weird to do. I like to have my training kind of similar within the undulations and throughout the, the cycle. So the only way to get around that is to have a cycle where I either have a cycle of increased um, load or, or decreasing load. And I think that does have some novelty with increasing type two fibers, um, or at least uh, stimulating those higher threshold and lower threshold motor units. Um, the, the, the biopsy studies I've seen with like even uh, blood flow restriction has been predominantly more type one fiber. So I don't know if that has anything to do with anything. We do want to increase those fiber types anyway. Um, but that's the reason why I kind of go through that because I think there is something to be said about uh, hitting those heavier loads and it would make sense to have a different cycle. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, Alex, I, those are all really good points. You know, it, when the literature, if and when the literature elucidates that heavier training is actually better for hypertrophy than lighter training, uh, I'll be uh, very, very keen on reanalyzing some of my periodization models that I've constructed and like myself and uh, James Hoffman and Jared Feather have constructed. But um, I think so far the available evidence, you probably agree, it seems that between five and 30 reps to failure are close, it's rather equivalent hypertrophy, or at least very comparable. And that brings up a couple of questions. You know, there's a lot of these studies are very short term or on sort of intermediates that are really just beginners. Um, and you know, you've trained for two years, fucking slow clap, you're the shit, right? So, um, so it, it's hard to tell very specifically. I think if we zoom in, um, enough eventually with better and better studies i think we're going to start to get a topography of five to 30 reps and where the optimal actually lies i have my suspicions as a they're worth dick but uh i have my suspicions on where where the optimal really is i think for many muscles or they say average muscle i think the 10 to 20 rep range is probably the best by the teeniest tiniest margin there's a couple reasons for that one i think the training between a five to ten rep range um, um, 
is really good. It, it definitely trains your faster twitch units a lot. I don't think it trains your slower twitch or intermediate twitch fi muscle fibers enough because it's just not enough volume uh, as far as like number of actual reps that you're doing some shit. Um, so I think it suffers from that problem. It also suffers from a small sustainability problem. If your average rep is seven or eight, Jesus Christ, that's really heavy. If you want to populate an entire volume of programming through that rep range, you're going to fucking Mr. Potato Head yourself real super fucking quick. Like you're just going to fall into pieces. I've tried that shit. I fell into pieces. Um, so to suffer from that problem, uh, on the other hand, the 20 to 30 rep range suffers from a number of problems, including like hypothetically, if you can activate all your motor units to a high extent towards the end of that set, that's great. You have to approach failure. Approaching failure, true failure at the local level for such a high rep set is really, really fucking difficult. Um, and it causes, a, there's a lot of neural fatigue that you're bringing in, central fatigue, after one set and even zero sets. Like after after 20 reps of having done some shit, now it's like, okay, now now you got to push it. Like, fuck, why didn't it just start at fucking a super heavy load? So the first rep could have been very hypertrophic, right? So you're bringing in a lot of fatigue. And, I, and that might not be optimal. In addition to this, there's pain, right? Like you've, I've done, you've done curls, I'm sure, for sets of 20 or some shit. Dude, I don't stop that because I can't move my biceps. I stop that because I'm a little bitch. I don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want people to see me cry at the gym. I'm the tough guy at the gym, goddammit. I don't cry. I make other people cry. Fuck, take people's weights off the rack. You know, do this kind of like that. You flex your pecs at someone. You like lunge at them. So in any case, a lot of that stuff is like, you know, the pain might be what's keeping people from maximizing those sets and thus they're not maybe the super best way to train. And there might also be some fiber type stuff there. Like it might not be the best way to train the faster twitch fibers because by the time you get to your 25th rep, your fast twitch fibers may have accumulated so much, uh, so many metabolites from uh, the fibers around them that have been contracting that their excitation contraction coupling is like, this just don't work anymore. You guys ever have that perception when you're doing super high reps, like you're trying to flex your biceps or your chest or whatever, and it's just not working. You're like, I feel like this is some kind of lack of communication here going on. That's not really a good thing. Like the, the best kind of set is one where you feel the contraction and you feel the mind-muscle connection where like, like you just feel the shit in your pecs. You're like, I can fucking blow my own pecs off of this set. Like that's good. That's a lot of local tension generated. but something that sets a five to 10 do really well, but I don't think optimally because a lot of times when the weight is super heavy, especially in compound movements, you're kind of more concerned about technique and survival than you are about mind-muscle. Like if I'm doing sets of six in the squat, dude, I don't know what the fuck my quads are doing. I honestly don't. And I can't possibly pay attention to that shit because I'm just trying to brace hard enough to not die and kill over. So I think there's a bit of a, uh, maybe some downside there, maybe some downside uh, 20 to 30. Then we zoom in and this is totally for the average. There's tons of exceptions to this. 10 to 20 rep range. Let's just pick up a fraction of it to easy discussion. Sets of, uh, sets of 12, right? Sets of 12. Plenty heavy, right? So you get real good fast twitch uh, stuff. Not a ton of lead-in reps, so to speak. So you get effective reps pretty soon. Um, also gets you amazing pumps, tons of metabolite generation, great mind-muscle connection, and it's sustainable. Like you can do sets of 12 for fucking weeks, and it's not so heavy that it fucks up your joints, but it's not so light that it either bores your tears or hurts so goddamn much that you never even get close to failure. So I suspect that if someone's like, okay, what is the optimal rep range? Go. I don't give a shit about your science bullshit, relative crap, nuance, Thomas Sowell crap. I want fucking one number. I'd be like 12. <laughs> I don't know. That would just be my first guess. Uh, anything, you know, 10 to 20 I think is reasonable as far as maybe being the best. I don't know, what, do you, what do you guys think about that? Uh, I was just going to say, at least um, for me personally, when I've done the 20 to 30 repetitions, although they can only be done on certain movements for sure, I've at least for the kind of uh, the auto-regulatory measures you talked about in terms of like the pump, the fatigue, the sort following day soreness, like it's definitely getting ticking those boxes. So um, I've definitely felt like, it's being productive and overloading work for me at least. Yeah. I mean, I've only played around maybe sets of 20 and 30 for maybe some single joint stuff, obviously, and some blood flow restriction. I definitely feel like I get more done with blood flow restriction in the short term. Um, but anything after like two or three weeks, it feels like a fucking waste of time for me. That's um, another downside to such high rep sets is you, you're basically, you can't sequester metabolites anymore because your vasculature becomes so good at buffering and so good at removing that you just, it becomes the stimulus to fatigue ratio becomes shit. Like you do a set of 30 and you go to failure and someone's like huge pump, right? And you're like, nope, I just feel like I did 30 goddamn reps for no guy. It's like climbing stairs or some shit at some point. Yeah, no, exactly. And another thing I just want to bring up just very quickly um, is just because you activate, um, Type 2 fibers does not mean that they're being stimulated to the same extent as maybe a heavier load. Um, just because they're getting cycled in, um, they need to be cycled and stimulated for a decent period of time, which is what you get between that sets, you know, 
five to, I don't know, maybe 12, that's an arbitrary number. Um, I, you know, sets of 20 to 30 just seem like such a fucking waste of time for most things. Um, I do see some like delts and things of that nature, like delts for sure. Um, between 15 to 20, I think the metabolites, I talked to see with this has a lot, maybe fatigue or something, but they, Damn, they burn. I think it's a couple things, man. One, I think the delts are much slower twitch on average than most muscles because you use them all the goddamn time. It would make sense both genetically from a design perspective and just because, you know, fiber conversion occurs with use. Like, what the fuck do you use your hamstrings for? You barely use them at all until you have to, like, really do some shit, right? You, you, you know, you sure as hell don't use your chest for hardly anything. But delts, man, you use them for everything all the time. They basically are highly active. And so, like, uh, and so I think they're slower twitch, which maybe biases them into preferring preferring the higher up range. In addition, I don't know about you guys, I have a real hard time with my muscle connection and technique when delts are trained with super heavy weight, like like lateral raises. Someone's like, "Oh, I do a set of six. I'm like, "What?" Like, uh, first of all, like, yeah, my shoulders are gonna blow out. And second of all, someone's gonna be like, "Did you feel that?" I'm like, "I don't know. I felt it in my soul and my neck. Like, fuck that. Like my shoulder joint." And it'd be like, "Well, do you get a do you get a pop?" I'm like, "No. Did you feel tension in your?" your lateral delta no also no like okay when do you feel all those things well i gotta do at least man like i don't know 10 reps in the first set at least i had a set i posted a set yesterday some shit which was like 23 reps um on a first set and the thing is like the amount of time it takes to do that with lateral releases it's only like 45 seconds right like it's not that long it's not like you're there for forever and also like i got a gnarly fucking pump crazy fucking burn awesome mind muscle connection because the weight's just light enough to be able to do that. And I think that's another interesting argument against going super duper heavy is the mind-muscle connection has been demonstrated to be efficacious, at least to some extent. I think it has for sure limitations, but I will say like, I can get a badass mind-muscle connection with like sets of eight in the Smith machine squat that I do. Um, but like, I got to really be careful not to go too heavy and really keep my technique pristine so that I continue to have that mind muscle connection. Have you guys ever had like, when you start off on an exercise and week one or two and you have a great mind muscle connection and like a fucking idiot, you do way too many sets or put way too much weight on the bar. And towards the end of the like six weeks, people are like, how's that? How are those rows feeling? You're like, I'm just surviving these things, man. I don't even know what's going on. And you focus on the logbook too much. We're like, I got to match these numbers. And then you just forget the muscle exists. You guys are, I can't be the only person. No, I know. Absolutely. And definitely towards the end, like you said, like towards the end of that meso cycle, I'm trying to beat the logbook, which is another uh, very peculiar thing. And a lot of older natural bodybuilders that I've talked to, um, well, actually, I mean, most of them will say that they don't even, they have a logbook. And they try and beat it, but it's like only when the R- their RPE starts to drop and their volume like will fucking stay the same for like three fucking four weeks. Nothing changes. And it's hard fucking planning for a long time. Sure. And finally, the RPE will start to drop. And then they'll increase yeah. load or maybe a rep. Um, so that was also another thing that I want to talk about before and we, we kind of circled back to. It definitely uh, pertains to, uh, you know, if you're intermediate or advanced. But Totally. Yeah, and especially if you're natural, your MEV, MRV window is so close together that you can string multiple weeks together where adding a rep, adding uh, two and a half pounds on the bar is is what takes you to your MAV again and then to your MAV again, right. your MAV again. So and at that point, you know, you just hopefully your cumulative fatigue doesn't rise super quick. But I think for beginners and intermediates, it's basically this. Are you super fucking sore all the time? No. Are you barely sore at all? Yes, I'm recovering super fast. Okay. Is your performance increasing or at least staying the same? Yes why not add a set or why not add some weight or why not add uh, a rep, right? And to me, those, I don't really differentiate those to be completely honest. I think adding weights and adding reps and adding sets are just three strategies for providing overload. I think you have to add reps and or weight non-negotiably to keep the um, RIR low enough or consistently falling because that's critical to, you know, because otherwise if you had a bunch of sets and never add any weight, or any anything else, you're just like 10 reps in reserve at the end of the fucking cycle, and that's stupid. Um, so I think you have to add eight reps and or weight and or both, but I think set additions to me are just intellectually just a complete, not even offshoot, they're an extension of that line of reasoning. Like why do we add this stuff to keep training hard enough, to keep training hard enough that we're reasonably adapting, or reasonably training as hard as we can to get the best gains. And sometimes for people, adding 10 sets through a mesocycle is what is that's how fast they adapt and what's the, what they need. And for other people, uh, adding one set is already overkill. So I think it's uh, auto-regulation is absolutely the way to go about this. So for example, if someone said to me, if I was training a natural bodybuilder that was 40 years old, I'd be like, how's your last workout? They're like, ooh, tough. 
and I barely hit my reps and I'm like, I just, I was, I got done being sore from that shit yesterday. And now today is another workout for the same muscle group. Like, should I add sets? I'd be like, God, no, are you fucking kidding me? And if they kept giving me those ratings, I would never have them add sets. Like, fuck man, fuck adding sets. I hate that shit. It takes my workout takes forever. I would love it if I could just start at whatever number of sets and I got mildly and moderately sore and I just kept getting mildly, moderately sore and kept hitting the great RPEs all the way through and just, that was it. And then I would just deload. It's just adding sets comes basically the way I got into the adding set situation. Uh, the short, short end of the story is I was like, man, you know, at the beginning of the weeks of training, I'm so fucked up and so stupid sore. I don't know why I'm doing this to myself. And at the end, like I could do more in the last week. And for some reason I'm not, cause I'm not allowed to add sets. Um, and then it just made sense to at least lower the sets a little at the beginning, raise the sets at the end. And then I got into more of an auto-regulated model that like, if you find you need to add sets to have consistently the best sorts of workouts through your muscle cycle, maybe it's a good idea. That's totally. cool. No, I totally agree with that. Awesome. Um, I think we're probably coming to close to an hour and I think actually Mike, you probably summarized the discussion really well in that Alex's probably disagreement with the concept was more of the strict model of uh, pre-planned set progressions. And that's been further kind of identified as your auto-regulated model there. And that for me was the take home from the entire discussion in that that's the important kind of concept in that it's a good idea to start at MEV, start with low levels of um, sets and a bit further from failure. And then as you go through a mesocycle, that's where that autoregulatory model comes in when you're listening yeah. to all those kind of biofeedback Maybe, measures. Yeah. And if they say add, then add. But if they say don't add, don't fucking add. Um, but really, if I'm going to sum it up even better than you just did, Steve, is add two sets every day. <laughs> Every day. And that doesn't mean men in this different muscles, like biceps, you did six sets, next day triceps, eight sets, quads, 10, back 12. Pretty soon you're doing 46 sets a session. And I'm pretty sure that no one's ever done that and been the most jacked person in the world. So that clearly that's the way to get to be the most jacked person in the world. Uh, Alex, respond to that. Huh? Huh? Where's your, where's your clever shit now? I can't, I'd only add that, you know, maybe try blood flow restriction training 24 seven as well, just turn it the legs when you sleep, and it should be jacked like Eric Thomas. Well, let me write this down. Fuck. <laughs> I don't want you getting the edge on me. Uh, it's like, it's funny, you guys know that dumbass thing, like, like how hard are you training? You're like, I don't know, like, your competition's training twice as hard. That's another funny way I sort of like came to the MRV concept. I'm like, what if they're training in excess of their MRV? Like, I'm winning, <laughs> that's great. But now I'm thinking like, fuck, Alex is getting jacked all the time, because he like, I, I like brush my teeth before I go to sleep. This motherfucker puts on like blood flow restriction cuffs on his calves. I'm like, shit, he's gaining muscle wise while I sleep. He's not even, I don't know if you can fall asleep with that much pain. Hopefully you still get some sleep. Yeah, no. And I increase my sleep sets as well every week. Learn folks, absorb <laughs> true knowledge. And again, I do want to add another takeaway actually, because this was clearly identified from you guys chatting was in the short term, you shouldn't be seeing huge performance increases because you should be accumulating a fair bit of fatigue through the volume, which in the short term is shown to be pretty powerful for driving hypertrophy. Cool. Alex, anything else you want to add there? You happy? Um, not in this segment, just because I want to be respectful to Mike's time. I know he has to fly to like, who the hell, like Mars, whatever, go back to his <laughs> You got a seminar on Mars. Like, okay. <laughs> That's somewhere he's from, some alien planet, because he's obviously not human. Um, but yeah, um, no, uh, I'm gonna keep it, keep it there. Keep be respectful with the time. Cool. Hey, if we, if you were, we're want to talk about like whatever else we disagree about, like soreness or some shit, maybe Steve can have us on again to, yep. to rant at each other. Well, I'm sure we'll have a bunch of comments hating me, so I'm sure I'll end up in here. Oh, dude, fuck those people. But on a serious note, um, can we end this like properly as a debate, like? So, uh, Alex, here's what I got from your position. You're an idiot. You're wrong. Also, how dare you bring your fucking shit to my volume concepts? They're mine. MEV, MR, I don't even know all of them. I just know they're mine, goddammit. You know what? I want someone to draw a picture of me, like, you know, uh, Smeagol from Lord of the Rings, my precious, that guy. I want somebody to draw me as Smeagol, like, with rocks that say MRV, MEV, MEV, and just, like, me clutching them, like, ah! Like that's how I see my intellectual life. So boom, we're enemies. That's volume, the volume land sharks, man. That's what it is. Nice. Oh, that's really good. Fuck. I, that's not your idea. That's mine. I said it first. I'm patenting that. Stay away from my shit. Fuck it. You have your fucking MRV. Bullshit. Fucking volume.
That's how I really feel, you know what? This is how I really feel. Fuck the goddamn motherfucking maximal recoverable volume. Yeah, I'm going to train. I want to train with as much volume as I fucking can. Right. You don't tell me how much to train, goddammit. I train as much as I want. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, thank you so much for this discussion. Um, I think it's... <laughs> oh shit! Uh, <laughs> Alex, you're up next. Go, <laughs> you're the next guy to t- take it to Lyle. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time, and as always, um, make sure to check out Mike at uh, RP Strength and all the guys over at Renaissance Periodization doing great work. And Alex, where's the best pe- place for people to reach you again? Um, typically, my uh, Instagram is where I'm most uh, responsive, and I post a lot of stuff on there. As well, my Facebook is hit or miss. Um, but I post a lot more stuff on Instagram, uh, King Bowen. So King and then my last name, B-O-I-V-I-N, which is highly appropriate for me. Cool. Everyone can send their hate mail over, over there. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, um, as, uh, the guy said, if you want them back on, definitely comment below, um, and we'll make it happen. And, uh, thank you for tuning in. Catch you soon.